You're listening to the All About Girls of Color podcast, a space dedicated to creating environments that allow girls to thrive. We explore issues and solutions that focus on removing obstacles so the natural joy and genius of girls can bloom. Join us as we dive into conversations all about girls of color and the women they become. Disclaimer. Our intention is to bring our whole selves to the conversations by bringing our professional and personal selves to each episode. Any views or opinions on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creators and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creators may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless specifically stated. Here we are. This is our first episode. We are so excited to launch this podcast. I'm Janetra Sykes with Arboretta Group, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. I am Tanisa Cunright, the founder and executive director of Detour Empowers. And I'm Gabby Delgado, founder of Saving Our Starfish. All right. So with this being our first episode, we want to anchor our listeners in our stories. We feel it's important for all of you to, to know a little bit more about us and how we landed here today. So to do this, we gave ourselves a little homework assignment, and the assignment was to write a note to our seventh grade self. And we chose this particular assignment because so much of our identity really starts at that critical pathways, um, that fork in the road happens for a lot of us in that, that middle school stage of life. So now that we are full grown adult women, I think we've all learned a thing or two about life. And so we thought perhaps we need to do some deep reflecting to really anchor us and and motivate us to continue the work that we do for our community. So, um, Tanisia, I believe you're going to kick us off. I will kick us off. And so with that said, I have a few things that I want to tell my seventh grade self. Um, As I reflect on the person I was, the girl that I was in the seventh grade, I'll provide some context. It was my first year in Catholic school, okay? I'm talking about uniforms every day, Catholic school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and this was my first time in a private school. I had been in public ed- public education, um, you know, my entire educational career. And the seventh grade, I wanted to spend more time with my dad and his family. And my other siblings were going to this Catholic school. So I thought, oh, I'm going to say I want to go to the Catholic school so I could spend more time with my dad. And that is what ended up happening. And it was very, very different for me. And I felt like I did not belong. Um, I was the only black girl in the class. There was one other black boy, and we were the only two black kids (laughs) in the entire class. Um, So that really gave me a um, just kind of feeling of being on the outskirts of the core group in which I felt the school was there to support. Um, I just really felt different, just really, really different. In addition to having having to wear a skirt every day, which you guys know, (laughs) I don't do skirts (laughs) or dresses. (laughs) So that, it was just an uncomfortable, that's what it is. It was a very uncomfortable experience for me. Um, And I've often been the only or the first Uh, In elementary school, I attended uh, Florence Elementary in Hillcrest and was one of the few black girls in class. And so, um, you know, SDSU, one of the few 
black girls in class, USD, one of the few black girls in class. And so back in seventh grade, what I would tell myself is that you belong, you fit, and to value your uniqueness because that's something that really became an insecurity. You know, like, do I belong here? Mm -hmm. I I don't know if I belong here or not. You know, Um, and when you're insecure and uncomfortable, you don't really excel because you're insecure and uncomfortable. So I would tell myself that you belong, that you have what it takes to be here. You have what it takes to stay and remain here and to excel and do well and honor your uniqueness. Yeah. Honor it because it's what you bring into the group. You know what I mean? Like you are here representing a lot of different things. And I won't even say any of them because there's so many different things. Um, So be positive and and shine, right? Shine. I think those are all so important for young people at that age to hear. Yeah. Uh, You know, we've done that work with girls ourselves in the community Mm -hmm. or in schools. Um, So when I, I think back to who I was in seventh grade, you know, I remember someone saying, you know what the best thing about middle school is? It's going to end. And I yeah. thought, oh, that would have <laughs> yeah. been key for True. me to know. Right. Thank right. you for telling me. Yeah. I heard that as an adult, but I thought, that's actually so important to tell students. Right. It's yeah. okay. Right. It's this awkward stage. You're going through a lot. Um, when I think back, uh, I would tell myself that you got this. And this constant sweating the small stuff or feeling like you have to be perfect in every little way, that isn't the case and it doesn't have to be. And so always yeah. putting that extra pressure on myself. I felt that um, as a kid, I've always been that that achiever of like, I need to make sure everything's put together because I don't want people asking kind of what's happening in the home and, you know, kind of mind your own business because yeah. everything's peachy and rosy and it wasn't. Yeah. And so for me, it was, you know, having very limited resources at that age was hard. It was, um, I'd see students who I thought, oh, they, it's the thing. You would go to uh, the stores during summer to buy new clothes for the new school year. Well, that's new to an immigrant family. You don't do that. (laughs) And so we thought, oh, hey, mom, this is like a thing they do. We can't wear the same clothes. And that was a struggle for my parents. It was, you can't just be buying new outfits for every day of the week. And so for me, it was just not feeling like I fit in because I didn't have those resources oftentimes. But then also when I reflect, I realize, give yourself some slack. You got this. It, it will be fine. You just got to know how to ride this out. So a lot of lessons learned, but it was a tough time. I didn't enjoy, um, you know, peers very much at that time. I had good yeah. friends, but people are... Um, hard in middle school and oh, will criticize man. for every little thing. And again, when you're the kid that doesn't always have, you feel like, oh my gosh, they're going to know that, um, you know, I don't, I don't have, I never own a pair of Nikes. I can't afford that. I yeah. would go to pay less. And even that was like a big deal and, you know, kind of feeling embarrassed at times that we didn't have resources. So trying to hide that. Oh, um, yeah. And now my, I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? And, you know, in my neighborhood, you would have been shamed. Yeah, for yeah. those payless shoes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember oh, I, I yeah. grew up in Carson, California, and we used to call kids that didn't have name brand shoes. Oh, you got the Alpha Beta Specials on, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> right, which was a grocery mm-hmm. store mm-hmm. with the, you know with mm-hmm. the cheap shoes, and that's like 
that's when I think about that as an adult, I mean, that's just so cruel. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. um, that you don't want to be with the alpha beta specialist, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know, and I'm just thinking all these years I've known you, Tanisha, I didn't know we shared the Catholic school thing. Mm. You know, I went to Catholic school from public school in sixth grade because I needed more structure. Right. Um, so it was kind of like punishment for me to be mm. sent, you know, to Catholic school, and it was a lot more rigid than the, my public school experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it was small. I had gone from I, w- I went to O'Farrell in the sixth grade, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of independence that we got because we got the opportunity to go from like class to class, shifting periods. And the Catholic school was just one room (laughs) all day. Yeah. So it was a really hard shift. um, And one that I never really got used to, I ended up asking to return to O'Farrell for the eighth grade. Yeah. Because it was like, okay, one year, you know, is all I could do. But I think, um, you know, what was underlying was that it really wasn't about the school. It was me wanting to spend more time with my dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And perhaps if we would have been able to have a, to have a conversation about that need yeah. that was not being fulfilled, um, I would have never had the Catholic school experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I was only able to spend time with him on weekends. You know what I mean? And I wanted to go over there more. Um, so that I feel like it's a whole nother issue yeah. that was mm-hmm. going on under the surface yeah. mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. That's why it's, I say it's this pitchfork oftentimes in the road for a lot of young people because so much of what we see in that, in those two to three years, you think that these seeds are planted and oftentimes we think, oh, you know, if they just have exposure to sports and clubs they are going to be fine. And you realize mm-hmm. that that's like surface level stuff. Yeah. There's things that sometimes we're not aware that, that, that people might be encountering or dealing with. And nobody would have known to ask to say, hmm, well, let's dig a little bit deeper with Tanisa to see what's really going on. Like yeah. no one gets to the root of it. Right. Yeah. And then right. and then later, it's like the, we're these puzzle pieces. I always look at people like puzzle pieces where that's just a, a piece of you, mm-hmm. but no one had all these other pieces to put together this entire picture. And that oftentimes happens with girls of color. Yeah. Right. Is that we see something on the outside or that might say, Oh, well, look at what the, the school is reporting. And, and you know, I can tell you, I, I have assumptions about this. students. like, uh-huh, they're assumptions because you're only going off of what these statistics are telling you or what grade levels are telling you. But no one's ever really painting you this accurate picture because oftentimes they don't bother to even ask the girl herself. Yeah. Right, right. And they're limiting their judgment to their exposure to that young lady only within school hours or only within the hour that they have the student, mm-hmm. which is really unfair. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we got to think about, I'm thinking about myself, you know, at that age. And I had a longing to be with my father. But I also had, like, that family rule that boys came first, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I actually had a conversation with my father. You need to spend more time with us, mm-hmm. right, being the advocate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my little brother needs you more than I do. And I, you know... I'm in seventh grade saying that, like putting the needs of others first when I wanted him so desperately myself, mm-hmm. you know? And I just kind of wonder sometimes, do we as women of color d- do that by default? Mm-hmm. 
put the needs of others before ourselves. Yeah, or learn it at such a young age yeah. to where it becomes normalized. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a normal behavior that's not looked upon as something being wrong with it. And it's an expectation, yeah, too, yeah. right? That you're just expected to do these things because, well, you know, you're you're the oldest of the family, or you know, you're the girl in the family, so then you have to take on certain responsibilities. There's research that shows mm-hmm. why do girls have to take on these caretaking roles from a young age? Well, because oftentimes society kind of puts that pressure on them, and then that transfers over to who we are as people, and we carry that into work, we carry that yeah. into home life, and and that comes at a cost. I mean, we all have friends where we say they, they've hit that burnout stage, or they're not taking care of themselves, or they're they're aging faster than they should be because yeah. they're that constant caregiver, and you right. feel like I don't know how to say no. This is kind of what we do in my family or or in my culture, and so it's tough, I I think, to navigate those journeys. And yeah. you know, part of us coming together, I think it's you know it's it's a passion that we all have for serving girls of color, being women of color, and being around. All of you. I'm always energized. I'm always laughing when when we're together. Yeah, and, right. I, and I hope it's, that you gotta laugh. Yeah, you have to. What else are you gonna do? Right? <laughs> Gallows humor, right? What yes. are you gonna do? Yeah. But sometimes, you know. But we are really funny, though. You know, <laughs> but, um, but there, there is a coping. There's a coping element to the laughter. It really is. Mm-hmm. But you I think know. this, like something like this, for other women of color and people who are not women of color to just hear like just learn a little bit about our stories and who we are so that there isn't this judgment or there isn't this different expectation that we are sometimes held to where it's not across the board for everyone yeah. and just just understanding us we've often had these conversations where girls will be portrayed especially black girls oh they're they're angry and and I tell people, we, you, what are you even basing that comment on? The fact that she pushed back and challenged you? But would you have said that about a white student saying that? But why is it okay to put black girls in one category and not another? You know, and my response to that would be, this is a hint on what, I'm, what my note says to my seventh grader. So? <laughs> <laughs> so she's angry. So? You're the adult. What is she going to do to you? I mean, why right. is her anger threatening She's 12. Right. right? What's driving that? If you feel yeah. like yeah. That, What's the if that's hurting her, <laughs> yes. how about you ask, let, let me learn a little bit more about what could possibly be happening here. Yeah. Right. That I'm yeah. not maybe, I'm not being reflective on my yeah. NSA. Am I just making an assumption? Like maybe I need a pause, but that's not always the case. So I'd love to hear from you, Janedra. So t- tell okay. us more. All right. All right. Here's my note. <laughs> All right. I'm passing it. I'm passing this note to her. She's in, you know, seventh grade in Miss Alpaw's class at St. Philomena Elementary School in Carson, California. Um, And I would say to her, you know what? It's okay to be angry because your anger is telling you that this is bullshit that you see, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right? And you're going to need that skill when you're grown to be able to set boundaries and tell people, nah, I'm not doing that, you know? Um, So hold your anger close, you know? When they say you have an attitude, okay, right? You know, I was Jan then. I turned Janedra when I turned 18. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say, Jan, just be strategic about it. Don't believe them when they say 
that you have an attitude and that is bad. Mm. And that your anger is your ability to see reality. Mm. And it is messed up right now. Yeah. Mm. Right? So just hold on. This is not going to last forever. You know, Mm -hmm. high school ain't going to be that much better. (laughs) 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 But, you know, when you get to college, you know, it's going to take a turn for the better. Mm -hmm. So just hold on Mm -hmm. and hang in there and know that what you know to be true is true. You know, I was the kind of kid that I wasn't othered. But I was the one that could bounce along to various social groups but not be completely part of them. Mm. Like I could hang out with the nerds for a while. I could go to hang out with the cheerleaders for a while and the jocks. And I was I had enough personality, you know, like <laughs> student government. Obviously, I was in student government, right? <laughs> you know, to have the little constituencies and be able to bump back and forth between them, but I never felt like everybody saw the whole me. Mm -hmm. That I only showed the acceptable parts. So I grew up in a family that praised performance and looking good. You didn't have to be good, but you gotta look good. It gotta Mm -hmm. be smooth from the outside, you know. You gotta look good. So I had this really performance quality that served me as an adult, but it's very limiting, you know? Um, Yeah, so in middle school, I never felt like I really belonged completely. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was a performer for these Mm -hmm. different groups. Hmm. Um, I was more myself, you know, when I went to college, you know, and I... That's when I became Ginedra, when I turned 18, and I was paying my own bills, you know. My family would kind of call me Jan. What's your Brady Bunch? I mean, like, how white, <laughs> how white can you be, right? Jan, right? And I used to say stuff, Jan is dead. Oh, <laughs> my dramatic. <laughs> you killed her off. Shit. R.I.P. Jan. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And I would refuse the to answer. The artist formerly known. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That's how we're going to introduce exactly. you in the next podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was this whole thing. And, and it was the first time that my family actually adjusted to me mm-hmm. because I wouldn't answer them. You know, like, Mama, what you going to do? I'm paying my own way, right? <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah. That's why I just love Ginedra. I love Ginedra, too. Yeah, yes. you know, and, you know, when people always trying to say, do you have a nickname? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is who I am. Can I call you Jan? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Yeah, this is it. I'm going to have problems pronouncing your name. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know. That sounds like a personal problem. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. you know? I think that's so funny because my name is Tanisha. However, my dad's side calls me Tanisha, which is not correct, but they're not changing it. <laughs> and here I am over 40. Um, but because when I was in the seventh grade and around that age, I liked Tanisha because it was more common. Mm. 
So they got used to it. It stuck. But when I came into my own uh-huh. and was like, hey, um, you know, my name is really Tanisa, right? They were like, well, we've been calling you Tanisha for your whole life. So we're not changing it. <laughs> so that's always a joke in my family. You'll know who's from my mom's side because they call me Tanisa and who's from my dad's side because they call me Tanisha. Got two names. Yes. <laughs> but it's just an interesting journey how we've all like come into our own at some you yeah. know point in time and just kind of wanted to get rid of the previous and former self it's like skin you shed yeah yeah right? it's like yeah. like leave leave the seventh grade self you leave the high school self like you've arrived right right, right. and so right. and all of that comes you know there's there's blood sweat and tears in that journey for all of us mm-hmm. right and you know hardships and i wouldn't trade it you know i i i Everything I've gone through, I said, no, because there's lessons learned and all that. And that's that's why I am who I am now. Yeah. Um, it would have been nice to have some dedicated mentorship geared towards navigating the world as a woman of color. And when I look back now, I think, oh, where would I have arrived at a different place in my career had I received mm. that support yeah. early on? Or, you know, what, what would it have turned out to be? I mean, I, I've done pretty well for myself. I'm not, you know trying to tell a sob story I'm happy but I also wonder how could it be how could it have been differently if I had had exposure to these women mentors I always had good friends but you know friends aren't they're your age typically yeah so that's why I grab I've always gravitated towards women of color to say well okay you know you can probably you know um you know drop some knowledge where I could benefit from that and, and help me grow and Oftentimes the world isn't set up for us to have that naturally. I feel like we have to go out of our way. But, yeah. but you know, we shed skin uh, on this mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm. We just do. And so um, I just, I appreciate you all being on this journey with us. And um, I wonder maybe we could share a little bit about, uh, so our listeners have a, uh, some context. How oh, do no. you land here? How these three women wait, get no, together? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> What would you tell yourself? Oh, so yeah, I, yeah, I, you forgot. I, yeah, I, I was saying for myself, there. I I wrote bullet points. I'm type A, so of course I did a list. I did a whole list. You know, so I thought, well, I don't want to read off a whole list on the episode. But for me, after hearing Tanisa talk, I thought, you know, it would have been don't sweat this small stuff. Like yeah. I put this yeah. pressure on myself all of the time to be um, a success, and I, and I know for me, it, when I trace, well, where does that come from? You know, my parents moved here. We came to the U.S. I was a baby. I was I was born right across the border in Tijuana. And huh. so this this pressure that they didn't put on us, I think my sisters just, we all did this naturally of they sacrificed and left their family to come here. And when we would hear as kids, we are here because of you, mm. you feel this pressure of like, yeah. I can't fuck it up. Yeah. You know, I can't, I, they, my mom clean houses. I'm thinking, I sure, and she would take us on summer, let me tell you, It'd be down in Coronado Cays, these beautiful mm. homes. Yeah. And I remember thinking as a kid, I am never going to clean a rich per- I don't even want to clean my own home. Yeah. I'm sure as hell not going to clean someone's house. And that's noble hard work, but I thought, I want a different life. Yeah. And so when I would see my mom doing that, I thought, I can't screw up school. I can't do it because I would. that would be the biggest slap in the face to both her and my dad that yeah. did jobs that they didn't. They were always low-paying jobs, jobs where people typically aren't even greeted when you see them. Yeah. I'm always aware of that. I always go out of my way and acknowledge people that are kind of the behind the scenes at a restaurant or 
if you ever just sit and watch at a restaurant when the, the person comes over to remove the plate, sometimes people don't even acknowledge that they're doing that. And, and so I always try to thank you for doing that. Yeah, and I, I pile the plates together. I clean right, the table right. before I yeah, leave yeah. because just feel like those yeah. are my parents in one way or another. And so, but it's this pressure of like, I have to do well and I, I have to be, you know, in clubs and in sports mm-hmm. because I, I don't want them to ever feel like what they did was uh, in vain. Yeah. And, and I know now, I think, my, you know, my parents would say, we were proud a long time ago. You could stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but yeah. it's this drive. I think uh, being an immigrant, you naturally feel like I, this is a big deal to move you know, and leave. My mom's the only one of all of her siblings to be in the U.S. Wow. They all were like, no, we're all good living in yeah. Mexico. We, we don't want to move. Yeah. 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 And, and, and you're not the only one that put that pressure on you. I mean, like one of my issues with the whole dreamer message, mm-hmm. you know, is the, the dreamers are saying, look at what we accomplished. We deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm here for the D plus student, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's here. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? I mean, it's like that expectation put on um, immigrants to be above and beyond Mm -hmm. what the average American is. Mm -hmm. It's just so unfair. Mm -hmm. Because you feel like then, oh, no, they're going to say you're the stereotype. Oh, no. And and it's just... You know, again, that 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 additional layer of of pressure. So it's almost like everyone's looking at you. Yes, because, you know, especially in what's happened in the last few years where people, you know, they they aren't, you know, so welcoming to people from different countries. And you think, okay, well, I my family comes from Mexico. We didn't have children at at 15, but that's a stereotype is, oh, they all have young kids. Okay, no, don't, that didn't happen. Oh, you have people in in jail. No, we don't have relatives that went to prison. We're college educated, but it's this one type of narrative that is constantly told. So you Mm -hmm. feel like if I ever slip up or do something, you know, that would, you know, connect to a stereotype, I feel like, oh, I'm letting everyone down. Yeah. And and not even just with your family, just as a whole, I feel like I'm letting my people down if I'm contributing to that very myopic narrative which is not true of everyone yeah so just that pressure yeah you know that that i think i've just told my seventh grade so chill out (laughs) (laughs) i mentioned i did a bullet list i'm I'm type a obviously you know i feel i'm that i just am i you all know me yeah let let me do my little notes and i mean it just it so i know it comes from that but you know i've learned to to have it serve me well yeah, in other respects too, but it's a balancing act. Yeah, yeah. definitely. We're, we're good uh, jugglers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of jugglers, so we're juggling multiple things today. Yeah. Um, Did we want to talk about how we met? Yeah. So I think I think people might wonder how they all come together. It's not like we went to school together. No. So they might want to know how how did this all come to how be? How did we get together? So. I, as I mentioned, I'm the founder of Detour Empowers, and I was seeking to learn more about how to effectively run girls groups. We are a mentoring program and leadership academy for teen girls. And so the, um, I want to call you the head honcho. (laughs) (laughs) You you just promoted me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so at that time, Gabby was providing trainings because she had a lot of experience and a lot of research, um, in this field for this work. And so I began to take all of her trainings that she ever offered. I was there for all of them. And so uh, she and I 
um, started our friendship there because she was seeing me so often. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get to know this chick yeah, who's showing yeah, up at all my workshops. Right, yeah. right. And always um, offering to support. And she would have a segment of each training where each person can go around and say what they needed and what they had to offer. And so we really got to know each other and got to work together um, through that medium. And so uh, she... Um, the depart the company that she was working for kind of got rid of that department and the trainings were no longer available. And so like about a year or two later, I was like, Gabby, hey, we need to bring back those trainings because they were very valuable to me. And there are people out here that need those trainings yeah. and we're a community, so let's bring it back. And so she and I created All About Girls of Color which is um, a series of different trainings um, highlighting statistics and best practices and just ways to connect um, pertaining to issues uh, affecting and impacting girls of color. And so she and I started doing all about girls of color trainings mm -hmm. for teachers, principals, counselors, community members, anyone who's interested in learning how to support girls of color. And so through that, we um, partnered with Monica Montgomery, council member Monica Montgomery, to do a screening on the push out. And that is where Janedra came on board. And so Janedra and I had worked together because she's a consultant and she was helping us put together some papers on the work that we we're doing with Detour. Mm -hmm. So um, I was a client of Janedra's. And so she came to the screening and just really connected with the message yeah. behind the push out that was created it by was Monique Morris. Story. It was my story. It was my story. It was my story. I mean, I just so related to that. You know, yeah. and I had some guilt around uh, opportunity that I missed that I'll share with later, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah. yeah. And so, of course, the push out touches on. Um, you know, expulsions and detentions pertaining to girls of color being way higher mm -hmm. than, you know, other races and the harm in that, the trauma in that. So we all three came together and in essence created the All About Girls of Color Collective mm -hmm. because it was always my vision to create an ecosystem of different partners supporting the girls that we mentored. We are definitely helping in one part of the girls' lives as far as the, you know, the development, growth and development, the mentoring, the positive representations of women of color and things of that nature. However, um, you know, we do realize that we're one part and yeah. we need more parts of the ecosystem in order to fully support their growth and development to help them thrive. So that's my story, yeah. and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Well, you know, I just like to just build on it a bit with that film, because um, you know we had a professional relationship, and you invited me to the film, and you know, a couple of years before that film, I lived in southeastern San Diego, and I used to work out in a park that was right next to a middle school, and as I would do the laps a brisk walk, not run. If I would do you know, my laps around the park, I could see into the eating area of the middle school. And one day I witnessed this young black girl interaction with her young white teacher. And the teacher was telling her, 
get that look off your face. Get that attitude off your face. And I just watched this young girl just stuff it down and get that blank look. Did I use a staff meeting? (laughs) (laughs) Still. Still. You know what I mean? That kind of like placid, blank look. And I just watched her stuff all her emotions down to get rid of the quote-unquote attitude. And I just remember standing there and looking at that and being frozen. Mm. And I didn't do anything. And I had thought about it for years, what I should have done. I should have gone in there. I should have asked for the principal. I should have said I witnessed this interaction that I don't know the history of it, but that's not cool. That's harmful. I, I should have, like, advocated for that girl, and I didn't, and I froze. Um, and I saw the movie, and I'm sitting mm-hmm. in the back thinking, okay, you know, Tanisha invited me to this movie. I'm going to make an appearance mm-hmm. and say, hey, and leave. <laughs> <laughs> Typical networking. <laughs> right, and so I'm in the back, and I'm, like, tearing up, and I'm just watching that that dynamic is a thing. You know, the adultification of black girls, Mm -hmm. the disallowing of any legitimate emotion other than um, being funny and anticipating your needs. I mean, it was just, just so horrible to watch that, right? And so um, that's why I joined you guys. It's like, first of all, to make amends to that girl, right? And to kind of develop the policies and um, changes in the system that teachers like that young white woman who probably was earnest, you know, Mm -hmm. to understand the damage that that does, Mm -hmm. right? And that's not cool, Mm -hmm. right? You're talking to a 12-year-old. Right, kind of thing. And is that much control necessary? Um, what does that do to her nervous system mm-hmm. to like stuff her emotions down like that? I mean, to, to kind of do s- some systemic education mm-hmm. in these systems on um, what do we do to our girls of mm-hmm. color? Like, what are we doing to them? What are our expectations? And how can we do better? Right. How can because, we do better? Right. Yeah. You're saying it could be that people should know but don't know. Yeah. Right. And so we've had those conversations. And so when we have this opportunity to be able to to use a platform such as a podcast to, to yeah. get the message out, to connect with all of our listeners so that they learn more, not just about us, but also just about girls and women of, of color. When we all came together and we had a, a community meeting I remember being in that room. We had over 60 women who mm-hmm. came, yeah. and you facilitated, Jenna. Yeah. I had, that's mm-hmm. the first day that I met you. Yeah. The, you had us go around once we had done a lot of um, individual and, and team um, discussions. We charted different possible topics that we all really wanted to focus on. Yeah. And the number one topic was that women in that group identified was having an ongoing collaborative space where they could support and learn from one another. 
Yeah. And I just thought it's because these spaces just don't naturally exist. Yeah, we could so, create them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is our another version and extension of that, really. So we're hoping that, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, that you stick with us for this season. We're going to have a variety of different experts and people who are who are activists, advocates for for young women of color. Uh, and we, you know, we welcome we welcome rich conversations that will yield a positive change. We want to be able to give people a, um, a a resource and a possible tool that they could use right. in their daily interactions and whatever their role might be interacting with young people. If you do no work with young people, you say, "Well, I don't work for a school. I don't work for a nonprofit." Well. Do you ever interact with a woman of color? Well, this might be helpful to you yeah. just to mm-hmm. understand who we are as people so that we can, you know, again, leverage our resources, our talents to just do better. To right. do better and do beyond, you know, and to do beyond, and I just got to stress in a systemic way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, so often we do the default, default position that all girls of color need are confidence. No. Mm-hmm. Confidence is good, but you need some resources, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? You need some resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 I, and I just got to say that. And right? Definitely, because you can have the confidence and the grades and everything that it takes to get to college, but if you can't pay for it. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or if you are unable to have those connections that other people have in order to get the job, to mm-hmm. get the internship, mm-hmm. to get the whatever, that social capital, that's important as well. And also, like, you know, um, being a, a student in middle school, high, sc- what, high school, with um, a 3.5 GPA as a girl of color, but you also are doing the most of the housework at home. You got a part-time right. job. Right. You know, you have all these other legitimate barriers and obstacles. That 3.5 is really different than mm-hmm. a 4.0 of a more affluent kid that, you know, has a maid that comes in and cleans their room, right? right. Mm-hmm. And so the approach would be for the systems to understand that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and to take that into account and factor that into account with with concrete supports for that Mm -hmm. and allowances for that, because not everybody's reality is the same. No, not everybody's starting point is the same. Right. You know, so that's like the equity piece. Mm -hmm. You know, of acknowledging that Mm -hmm. um, to inform systems that. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, of that aspect of mm-hmm. it we have a seventh grader a actual seventh grader not us as adults remembering our seventh grader but an actual seventh grader that has a question for us that we have not heard before right so we're going to answer of, one yeah. of the fancy girls yes all right she's asking how can she stay social and also um gear her head towards academics at the same time Ooh. Balance. The balance. Oh, man. I think we're all still trying to <laughs> get that one out. So the question is, how do you stay social but yet still keep your your eye on the prize uh-huh. and making sure academics are, are on point? Yeah. I'm going to sound really old. <laughs> 
with my answer. And my answer would be, you can do both. And you need to be, I would recommend, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to recommend that you think really carefully about who your social circle is. And I say that because, you know, you kind of rise and fall with your crew. I mean, like when you think about like the big performers of these days, like I just kind of lost it. But who's Beyonce? Beyonce? Who's her husband? <laughs> who's her Jay-Z. husband? Okay, Jay-Z and Farrell and Jamie Foxx used to hang out before they became famous. So when you think about like your crew, you want your social crew to be folks that have the same dreams that you do. Um, which will make academics and social balance easier, right? Um, so that would be my recommendation is find your tribe that shares your dream. I definitely agree. Um, I would say keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is school at your age, right? Because Oh, you sound old. That, that is what you are here to do. <laughs> um, and I, I definitely think that being social is an important part of your growth and development. However, it's not the main part. But I agree with what Janedra is saying as well because, you know, everyone should have work to do. So I would kind of be worried if you, your friends never had any work to do because, you know, as Janetra said, what path are they on? You know, and usually when you're on the same path, you have about the same amount of free time, which is not a lot. You know what I mean? So make the most of that. Definitely have fun. Be well-rounded and do things that you're interested in. But keep the main thing the main Yeah. I think, Val, you have one other question for us. What can she look, what can she look forward to Seventh grade. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you gave us a hard. One. What can you look? You know what? I'll say this: what you can look forward to is an opportunity to be different, try different things. And sometimes, in in certain schools, you might have different programming. There might be sports that are offered. There might be drama that's offered. So typically when someone moves from that elementary to middle school, it's a transition. So I just say be excited about the different opportunities and don't say no to anything. Even if your friends say, well, I don't want to try out for that. I don't think that's going to be fun. If you want to, just just try it. So keep that yes mentality and just be open to things. So there are things to look forward to. You just have to have that, that open mentality and mindset to it's opportunities for growth and, and learning if you choose to. So just I just say remain open and, and, and good things will will present themselves. Yes. And you will begin to get more independent. Uh-huh. That was something that I appreciated. Um, I kind of mentioned earlier, well, sixth grade for me and eighth grade, being able to go from class to class to class. That was very important to me. Um, also taught me time management because if you have five minutes during the passing period, you have to sum up your conversations with your friends during that <laughs> passing period. Um, so the independence, embrace it, um, learn from it, grow from it. And I would add that in seventh grade, you have an opportunity 
to really watch how adults make decisions. Because you got kind of a little understanding, you have more of an understanding of how the world works, right? So just be aware of how decisions are made because you're going to need to think about that and store that when you get into high school and when you get into an adult to understand how that system kind of works. I don't know if that makes sense, but I remember like really watching how Sister Elizabeth made that decision. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what was the data that she used, right? And did it make sense? And, oh, I get it. You know, what father thought is the most important thing in this, her decision, not the facts of the situation. Okay, now I, you know, <laughs> now I get it, right? So it's kind of, you could kind of see how decisions get made, which is really an important thing to understand how that process works. That's what I would tell. Nice. Well, thank you to the two young women who volunteered to pose questions. We hope that they find our answers fulfilling. <laughs> if not, we invite them to have a conversation with us. So um, on behalf of the All About Girls of Color podcast, I'm Gabby Delgado. I'm Tanisa Conright. And I'm Janetra Sykes. Thanks for listening. This podcast is made possible by the California Commission on the Status of Women and Girls. Additional sponsors include San Diego County Employees Charitable Organization. You can access all episodes and connect with us via email at allaboutgirlsofcolor.com.